today we conclude our series on vivid, and today we're going to look at James chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, you can open up uh, your Bible to James chapter 4, your app or whatever it is that you have. And today we're going to conclude our series called, I, I titled today's message, Why Can't We Be Friends? And we're going to talk about that old school song from war back in the days. But why can't we be friends? And, and when you think about it, there's this vivid uh, illustration and there's this conflict and there's this battle between the evil desires of this world and the spirit of God. And the two of them clash and we're going to get into that in just a moment. But have you noticed lately that there is more division in, the, in America than ever before? There's so much turmoil. There's so much strife. And have you ever wondered why is there so much division? Why is there so much strife happening in our land? Well, let me tell you, it boils down to one thing. There is evil tendencies that people have in their hearts and in their minds. And because of our sinful nature, people will do whatever it takes. They'll do whatever it takes to have power. They'll do whatever it takes to have control. Um, they'll do whatever it takes, whether that's manipulation with the situation or, or, or mess with people's emotions or tell people about lies and so forth. They'll do whatever it, whatever it takes to cause conflict with one another. And we're seeing that in our culture today like, like never before. And if you think about sin, what does sin do? Sin is an equal opportunity destroyer. It is an equal opportunity destroyer. And when it comes to sin, it, 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 when it comes to sin, it desires to be friends with all of us. Like that song back in the 70s by war called, Why Can't We Be Friends? How many of you have ever heard that song before? You know, I'm not going to sing it for you, but if I do, you'll start remembering it and ooh, 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 you know, doing the whole nine yards or whatever it may be. But uh, this song has been played before in many uh, movie soundtracks and, and TV shows or whatever it may be. But like some of the lyrics from this song, as I was listening to it yesterday while I was preparing for this message, and I just kind of thought about that song for a moment. There are certain lyrics in that song that reminded me that there's the sinful nature versus the spirit of God. And, and there's this war going on for the battle of our souls from what we desire to do for God and what our flesh desires to do without God in the picture. And some of the lyrics remind me of, of what the enemy says to us when it comes to temptation, when it comes to, to living in sin. And it says, the first part of the song says, I've seen you around for a long, long time. I really remember when you drank my wine. And that is so intoxicating of sin. That is so intoxicating of this culture that, that tries to wrap us around and be with us for a very long, long time. But the Spirit of God, in contrast, says a, a different picture when you go on and sing the song or look at the lyrics where it says, the color of your skin doesn't matter to me as long as we can live in harmony. Doesn't that sound like the Spirit of God? Doesn't that sound what God wants to do in our lives? So there's this vivid conflict. There's this vivid battle between the ways of this world and what it wants from us and what God does desires for us to do as his disciples, and both sides are, are literally saying, why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? And when it comes to the ways of this world and our sinful nature, let me tell you something, friends. Sin will take you further than you're willing to go. Sin will take you further than you're willing to go. It'll cost you more than you're willing to pay, and it'll cause you to stay longer than you wanted to stay. That's what sin does. It's bondage. It, 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 it shackles us from experiencing the freedom in God, especially when it comes to this conflict or this battle between the, the ways of the enemy and this evil, sinful nature that we have versus the ways of the spirit of the living God that we experience in this thing called life. Now, how many of y'all ever heard of Albert Einstein? Albert Einstein, now I was going to put the picture of him with his tongue sticking out like a lot of us have seen the poster of, but I, I felt like I couldn't do that because Albert Einstein was one of the greatest physicists of all time. Of all time, and he had a powerful quote that I thought was so profound, especially where we're going in this journey and this message this morning. He said this, and I quote, I do not fear the explosion of the atom bomb. Listen to me. 
I do not fear the explosion of the atom bomb. What I fear is the explosive power of evil in the human heart. Close quote. That is so true. That is so profound. And now in the book of James, James the author wants us as the people, and as he was writing to the people in the church, he wants them to turn from evil desires. He wants them instead to live and choose to obey God more than anything else. And in James chapter 4 that we're going to go through in verses 1 through 10, his focus is on this key battleground and this fight between evil and us. Now we all know that evil must be resisted. As followers of Jesus Christ. But how can we win this battle? How can we win this battle, especially when we're surrounded by so much evil in the, in the world that we're living in today? Have you ever thought about that? I, well, when we live with genuine wisdom from the Lord and when we have been going through this series on the book of James, which is a how-to book on Christian living, great things can begin to happen in our lives in a greater way. When we apply what God's word says in our hearts and when we ask for that genuine wisdom from the Lord on high on how to deal with the evil tendencies that we have in our hearts and the, the evil tendencies that surround us in this world. And unfortunately, one of the problems facing us is that we're in this constant conflict. It's 24-7. It never takes a break with what our flesh wants and what the Spirit of Christ wants to do. Like maybe even this morning you woke up and you're like, oh, it's raining. The roads are slick. I know I can go to church, but I'm just going to watch online today. I think I'm just going to do it. No, no, if you're watching online, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but there's this war going on sometimes between maybe not even coming to church, but maybe even reading the Bible, maybe even praying, maybe even tithing, or maybe even telling someone about your faith. I don't know what it may be, but there's this constant, this constant battle between what your spirit wants to do, but what your flesh says, uh, don't go there. You deserve a break today, not just at McDonald's on your bed. Just go to bedside assembly. Listen to Pastor Pillow. Talk to Sister Sheets. Just don't let her gossip to you. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, it's one of those things that we all face. And so we read about this dilemma in Galatians 5.17, and it says this. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Now, Paul reminds us that there's these two forces that are conflicting, the, the Holy Spirit and, of course, our sinful, evil desires or intentions. And now we know that the Holy Spirit, of course, is stronger than evil, the evil of this world or evil intentions from the enemy. But if we rely on our flesh, we usually make the, the wrong decision. We usually make the wrong choices when we don't allow the Spirit of God to take control over our hearts and our minds in that circumstance or in that situation that we're dealing with. And the only way we can experience freedom, everyone say freedom. You got to say it like William Wallace, freedom, you know, give it some gusto, give it some gust right now. Freedom, you know, what's that? You know, come on. You know, when we, when we experience, when it comes to experiencing freedom, it's when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, great things happen in our lives and through our lives. Amen. And James identifies the heart of humanity, and that is when we want something, we usually go out and fight for it. We usually do whatever it takes. You know, when I first saw my wife, it was in a yearbook at Bethany College. And I was like, who is that girl? Tarantino. And Tony and Vito, friends of mine, were like, hey, who, why do you want to know about this girl? You know, I was like, what are you, the bodyguards or something like that? But I was like, I was attracted to her just by seeing a picture of her in a yearbook. And then I saw her in, in the, on the college campus, and it was like, ah, you know, it's like Little Mermaid, ah, no, I'm kidding. You know, but it was just one of those things where it's like, man, I was going to do whatever I could. And as a matter of fact, I remember on our first date, I was like, you're the one. What do you think of me? And she's like, yeah. You know, it's like, I was just like, man, this woman is incredible, this woman of God. 
And you see, friends, we're, we're all dealing with this kind of a situation. When, when Sometimes we want something. We just go out and fight for it rather than ask God what he thinks we should do, whether it's in our relationship, whether it's in our careers, whether it's in, 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 in other things that, that happening in our, in our, in our, with our priorities or maybe even our time or our abilities or our giftings or our career, our education, or even maybe even what we do with this good old thing called money. Or, or maybe what we even pray for. So he goes on and says in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says this, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and rage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. You see, church, if you want to take notes this morning, I want you to understand something. That the natural heart of humanity is that we're never content or we're never satisfied because we always want more. Everyone say more. We always want more. And the lure of, from the pleasures of this world are so strong, but how can we resist this evil? How can we resist the devil? And we're going to investigate that later in James chapter 4 soon. But until then, we need to remember that there's this vivid battle, there's this constant fighting when it comes to others because everyone lives in a state of wanting more. We're all living in a state of selfishness. Every single one of that. That's why there's fighting and arguing in our homes or, or whatever it may be because somebody doesn't get what they want. And so what happens is there's, we raise our voices or we say things that we really wish we didn't say but we, we said out of anger or whatever it may be. And the same passions that we sometimes develop for wanting more, we somehow have to have that same passion when it comes to submitting our lives completely over to God. Jesus should be our Lord and Savior, not just our Savior like, hey, he saved me from going to hell. But he should be our Lord when it comes to our decisions and what we do and what we say as followers of Jesus Christ in those amazing moments that we have of walking on this place called earth. You see, Jesus desires that we're all faithful, that we're all loyal to him in those moments of our life. You know, we just uh, took communion together, received communion. We sang about the blood. And when you think about it, Jesus paid the ultimate price. He paid the ultimate price for our lives by dying on that old rugged cross for you and I. And all he wants to do, all he wants to do is get what he paid for. Have you ever paid for something and you surely wanted to get what you paid for because you, you spent a lot of money or you saved a lot of money to get that certain TV? And what are, could you imagine if you bought one of those LEDQ or whatever they're called at Costco and you got home and you plugged it in and it was black and white? You'd be like, I just paid $2,000. Oh, hon, come on. You don't want to bother them. You know, they got a lot going on at Costco. No, you're going to go back and say, hey, I just paid $2,900, and I don't want a black and white TV with rabbit ears. No, I want what this thing, I want them coming at me, you know, or the vivid colors and all that stuff. We want those things in our lives. Why? Because we paid for that. And Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and I. And all he wants to do today is get what he paid for in you. Because he loves you. He cares for you. He, he wants to have a relationship with you. And the key is we have to choose to trust God on a daily basis more than what we think we really want, more than what we really think we need, or maybe even what we think we desire. And when it comes down to trusting God, it starts with dialogue. It starts with community. It starts with community with the Lord on a daily basis. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel if someone talked to you when they needed something from you? 
What if it was your children? What if it was your spouse? What was your, maybe the people you work with? Or maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was Uncle Leo or something like that. I don't know what it may be. Or Cousin Guido or something like that. But you, you see your phone and it's like Guido. And you're like, oh, great. <laughs> All he's going to want is money to go buy pasta. No, whatever it may be. But, you know, the bottom line is this. When, when those things happen, it would probably be annoying to us. If you think about it, friends, if someone called you only when they needed something from you, it probably hurts you. Man, I haven't heard from this person in four months. They probably need a loan. They probably need some money or whatever it may be. And you'd probably be hurt from that, knowing that they're only calling you to get something from you. I mean, that would, that would not be a, a very good relationship at all because it's one way. It's their way. It's what they want. And, and that is how some people speak to God, if you think about it. Some of us in this room, the only time we talk to God is we speak to him, whether it's to or at him, regarding what we want. And to be honest, that's just rude. That's just rude. Sometimes when people pray, they pray not necessarily for the wrong things. They just pray for the wrong reasons. And let me ask you another question. When you talk to God, what do you talk to God about? Do you talk to God about what you need or what you're going through? I understand that's, that's, that's what he's here for. But, but, but when you talk to God, if, if all it is that you talk to him about what you want or need, but don't involve him in the process to say, hey, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Is this the route you want me to go? Is this, is this what you want me to do in that situation? And ask him that and, and ask him for, 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 for what his will may be done. But if, a lot of times we don't do that. And when we don't do that, you know, we're probably going to go a route that he never intended us to go to or to go to, to, to experience in the first place. And most of the time, we, we expect God to answer our prayers. Have you ever been in a situation where you prayed to God and you're, you're driving or you're in your room or you're, in, you're thinking, God, why haven't you answered my prayer? I've, I've been going to church. I've been reading the Bible. I, I, I actually gave. I, I, you know, been invited. Why aren't you answering my prayers? And, and, and sometimes we, when we pray to God, we expect it to be some kind of like Aladdin, some kind of a genie like granting us wishes. And when he doesn't do what we ask for, what do we usually do? We get upset. We get impatient. We get angry. We, we begin to doubt. We begin to maybe even walk away from our faith or even leave the church or whatever it may be. But if Jesus was really someone's Lord, if he was the Lord over every part of your life, they would allow that request to be answered or not based on what the Lord wants. Not what I want, not what you want, not what we want when it comes to our hearts and our lives. Do you talk to God only for what you need? Only you know the answer to that question. Think about this, friends. When people do that, they're coming from an angle of self-expectations. They're already setting the bar up for God that if you don't do this, then I'm over it. I'm done with you or whatever it may be. And when we do that, we have to, we, somehow we have to include God from the beginning planning stages. From the beginning. And when it comes to what we want, we must include in our prayer, not my will, Lord, but your, be, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 16.9, it says in their human hearts they plan their course. We all plan our courses. Maybe what age we want to get married by or when we want to have kids and where we want to live and, and all these other things. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but the Lord is the one that establishes our steps is what Proverbs 16.9 says. And we have to choose to cultivate a relationship with God on an ongoing basis. If the only time we ever talk to God is on Sunday or, or whatever midweek or whatever type of things that churches had before COVID or after COVID, or, and that's the kind of relationship with God, I'm telling you, friends, it's not going to last that long. And it's not because God's abandoning you. It's because we abandon God. We, we walk away from this umbrella of grace, and we want to experience things on our own. But yet when the storms hit us or the, the hell hits us or the, the lightning flashes, then we get 
mad at God and we're like, God, where are you? Why are you letting me go through this? Because you're the one that walked away from that umbrella of grace in that moment. And when you think about it, friends, if we only ask God for the things that we want in our relationship, that should only be the, the small portion of our conversation with him, not the only part. If the only part of our relationship with God is asking him for this or that, but we don't have a time of communion with him, or we don't have a time of relationship with him, or we don't hang out with him or do things with him, friends, we're missing the mark because he's a good father. God desires to give us good gifts. The Bible says if you trust in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But the question is, is are you really trusting? Are you really growing in your relationship with God? You see, friends, if you want to write this down or not, it's up to you. But the purpose of prayer is not to persuade some reluctant God to do our bidding. Really, if you think about it, it's to align our, our, our hearts with, and our wills with his. Because if you think about it, friends, if you ask the right person who is God, the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, with the right heart, with a posture of humility saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. But Lord, is this something you want me to do? Is this the route you want me to go? Or whatever it may be, you're going to get the right results. But here's the key to remember, friends. You're going to get the right results and answer to prayer on God's timetable. And we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait. We like instant pudding, instant rice, instant oatmeal, instant, instant, instant. We don't like to wait. We don't like to wait upon the Lord in those situations. And we need to remember that God is not a pushover. God is not going to be mocked. And we often offend God when we ask and expect him to do what we want without feeling remorse or, or wrong for our sinful nature. Here's the thing. We keep asking God for this, but we keep doing things that are contrary to the word of God. And then we get upset at him for not answering what we want when we're living in this constant state of rebellion towards him. And when people come to God, they have to choose to come to him with a pure heart, with a repentant mind. Because when we do that, he will not reject us. Even though we might reject God, God will never reject us. The Bible says in Psalms 51, 7, you will not reject a broken and repented heart, O God. Oh, aren't you thankful for that? That he doesn't reject a broken or repentant heart? Well, yeah, you're, you're, you're now you're coming to me, but you know what? I, I don't know if I want to talk to you right now. No, that's not God. He doesn't reject us when he sees his, his name on, our, on, on his phone. He accepts it. He answers it with excitement and anticipation in his heart for you and I. So it goes on. James goes on and says in verses 4 to 6 about more vivid things where, where we're at and what God desires to do in our, in, in our lives. And so it says in James chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, you adulterers. Oh, well, doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that just make you want to post and say, thank you, Jesus. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace. Everyone say grace. I just love that word. God's riches at Christ's expense. God, he gives us grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. I love that. See, when we become friends with the world instead of God, we seek pleasures at others' expense. Or even at the expense of obeying God or serving God or, or loving him or learning from God and, and his ways through his holy word. And the ways of this world choose to shut God out of our lives. When you think about it, friends. And, and they try to get us to choose the values that are opposed to, to biblical values. If you think about it, there's maybe a time in your life where you said, I'll never do this. I'll never listen to this. I'll never watch this. I'll, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're watching it. You're listening. You're saying it. You're, you're doing those things that you thought you would never do in your lifetime. How did you get there? 
Sometimes when we follow the ways of the world, we'll do whatever it takes. To, it'll do whatever it takes to lure us towards its side of, of evilness. And here's some ways you can discover if you're a friend of the world more than a friend of God. Listen to me this morning. Here's a way that you can discern if you're more of a friend of the world rather than a friend of God. When you become a friend of this world, the things of God that once attracted you to live for God and obey suddenly lose their fizzle. You just, don't, you just don't get excited about them as much anymore. And I'll tell you, friends, when you become a friend of this world, the things of God that once attracted you to, to live and love God will lose their fizzle. The second thing is this. Things that helped you to grow in your relationship with Christ. Things that helped you grow in your relationship with Christ and stay connected to the fellowship, stay connected to his church, stay connected to brothers and sisters in Christ, all of a sudden becomes a burden rather than a blessing. That's how you know if you're a friend of the world more than a friend of God. If the things that, 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 that helped you grow in your faith all of a sudden become a burden more than a blessing, you're playing with fire. Number three, people start believing that following and living for God is too restrictive. I was like that as a teenager. Oh, mom and dad, what's wrong with you? You're old-fashioned. This is not 1955. This is 1985. We roll up our jeans and, and we listen to this music and that music. And we wear Izod and Polo and all this other stuff. We start thinking to our minds and ourselves that, 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 that living for God is too restrictive. This book is a, a little old-fashioned. It's out of date, dad. I said all those lines to my mom and dad. Why? Because I was a friend with the world more than a friend with God. Another thing is this. We look for like-minded people. Listen to me who live and like the things we like that are contrary to the word of God. Oh, mom and dad, I'm just hanging out with these guys. They, they don't do anything wrong. Hey, Troy, you want to smoke? Orale. You know, whatever it may be. I smoked one time. Hated it. It's the worst thing in my life. But I did it because I was surrounding myself with like-minded people. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to fit in in that kind of a situation. And when you become a friend with the world rather than a friend with God, you'll look for like-minded people who live and like the things that you like that are contrary to the Word of God. How do you know if you're a friend of this world? Another thing is your thought life is obsessed with the temporal more than the eternal. You're focused more about the day than about the future. The moment rather than the Messiah. And if you think about it, friends, another way that we become a friend of this world is someone constantly is living in anxiety over money. They're constantly living in anxiety over money and is super stressed over temporal goals. If that's you, friend, you've bought into the lie. He who has the most toys wins. You've bought into that lie. You become a friend with this world. And the last thing is this. How do you know if you become a friend of this world? You are deceived by the ways of the cosmos. You're deceived by the ways of the cosmos. And what that means is that's the Greek word for the world. You're deceived by this world and you're thinking, that's what I need to be happy. That's what I need to be satisfied. And, and the, the thing is this, friends, when we pursue the pleasures of this world, we become adulterous in our relationship with God. We become adulterous in our relationship with God. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if, if you've been in a relationship where there is adultery, whether it was by you or your spouse or whatever it may be. But we all know that adultery is hurtful. It's painful in a marriage. And when someone is adulterous in that relationship, what usually happens? There's, there's betrayal. There's anger. There's, there's a lack of trust. There's deceit. There's broken trust. And it's a far-reaching effect on any marriage. And sometimes those, message, those marriages survive. And sometimes one of those persons is just so down hurt and broken, they don't want anything to do with the relationship. There's no more intimacy. Or maybe there's even talk of divorce. Or there's divorce that happens. 
And when you think about the most dangerous disease that we're living in today, it's not COVID-19. I want you to understand that the greatest disease that we're dealing with in this world is spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery because it causes someone to become completely unaware of the effect that it does in their relationship with God. We don't even look at that in that moment. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. They were in the garden. They were naked. They were having a good time. Everything was going and flowing. Everything was, man, all hunky-dory. And all of a sudden, this snake just comes up to Eve. And Adam's right there just watching the whole thing and doesn't say anything like, grab the snake and, you know, whatever it may be. He just watches the whole thing. And, And the snake starts deceiving them, saying, wait a minute, God didn't say that. Matter of fact, if you eat of this apple, you, you'll become like God. Oh, my goodness. And so she takes a bite, and then all of a sudden, he takes a bite. And then as soon as that happened, they looked at each other, and they realized they were naked. And, and, and they started hiding from God, and God starts looking for them and talking to them and wanting to be with them. But they didn't want anything because they knew. They knew they were living in sin in that moment. And that's what happens when it comes to spiritual adultery. We do things that are contrary to what we said we would never do to the person that we love the most. But something along the way, became, we became a friend of the world more than the Spirit of God or a friend with God. And there's no doubt that we all grieve the Holy Spirit when we go after other gods, when we go after sinful things or evil pleasures or idols other than Jesus. And we can't serve God in money. We can't serve God in pleasure. We can't serve God in evil in the days we're living in. The Bible says friendship with the world is hatred toward God. That's what the Bible says. And when we choose to live by the spirit of the living God, we're going to experience this conviction because we we don't want to live in this state of compromise anymore. And so the pleasures of this world continually keep someone in a state of sinning and, and in return will always cause us not to please God in that moment that we're living in. Have you ever thought, what makes us want more stuff? Have you ever thought, what makes us want more things? What, what makes us go give into evil desires? Well, it usually stems out of our pride. It usually stems out of envy. It usually stems out of being discontent. And those ingredients can cause us to be self-centered. And it leads us to believing we deserve all that we touch, all that we see, or all that we even imagine in our lives. You see, friends, always remember, pride, envy, and being discontent will always develop an appetite for greed. They'll always develop an appetite for greed. Think about that. The times where you became a friend of this world, it's probably because of pride. It's probably either maybe because of envy or maybe being discontent are all three of those situations in that moment. You know, there was an incredible story that I heard about a gentleman that maybe some of you have never heard of, Millard Fuller. Have you ever heard of Millard Fuller? You know, he he was a millionaire before he turned 30 years old. His success fueled his greed. And he seldom stopped to enjoy what he had earned. He he hurled himself with increasing zeal into new ventures which promised more money and greater opportunities for investment. Then one day, unexpectedly, because he was just lured by money and success and power and fame and all these things, his wife Linda told him she was going to leave him. And the news shocked him. He's thinking, man, I bought you this, I get you that. We go on these trips, we do all these things and so forth. And the news shocked him to the depths of his being and forced him to reevaluate his life. And the things which he had lived for. Millard Fuller discovered that only Jesus could satisfy his hunger. And this man committed his life to Christ. Then he sold all of his possessions. He sold all of his possessions and along with his wife devoted himself to serve the poor. You may not recognize his name, but how many of you have ever heard of Habitat for Humanity? You ever heard of Habitat for Humanity? Where they build homes? That's this man. That's his story. 
But you see, pride, envy, and being discontent was developing within him a greedy heart, and it almost cost him his marriage. It almost cost him his life. But aren't you thankful that he found the grace of God? Aren't you thankful that he found Jesus in that moment? So how do we overcome a self-centered lifestyle? We have to choose to live in humility. This man, this wealthy man had to humble himself and realize that if I don't change or do something quick, I'm going to lose the love of my life. He realized in that moment something had to change. And humility is realizing who we are from our esteem to our self-worth, if you think about it. And, and that it comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from our abilities. It doesn't come from our talents or, or any of those things that we deal with. Humility is all about living under God's power and not ours. And that's what, that's what pride makes you do. It makes you live under your power instead of God's power. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather live your life under God's power or your power? Every single one of us at the sound of my voice would say, well, of course, God's power. But we don't do that. Our actions don't speak louder than our words. You know, we just, we just say it, but we don't mean it sometimes in that moment. But when we're led by the Spirit and not our flesh, you'll begin to notice the world's seductive attractives, attractions are just a, a cheap substitute. The things that maybe lured you, all of a sudden you're like, man, I can't believe I used to do that. I can't believe I used to watch that. I, I can't believe I used to listen to those guys. Oh, man. I can't believe I used to dress like that. I can't believe I used to speak. You know, you begin to realize that it's all a cheap substitute for what God really has to offer. So James says in, in verses 7 through 10, how as Christians we can go forward with a vivid reminder of how to overcome uh, friendship of this world and draw closer to God as we wrap this up. He goes on and says this. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. I want you to understand today that Satan knows that he is a defeated foe. He knows that. But even though he will not win the war, his desire is to win the battle when it comes to you and I every day of our life. To give in to these evil desires. But it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to resist the devil and to submit to God. And so as we wrap up today's message, how can we come near to God? Remember, learn to submit to God. The word submit means to accept or yield to a superior force. Listen. Or the authority or will of another person. Submit means to agree to refer a matter to a second party for decision. Not my will, but yours be done. Are you submitting to God? How do we draw close to God? We have to resist the devil. Don't allow temptation or Satan to entice you to give into sin. Could you just imagine if Adam would just said, babe, move out of the way. Listen, you snake, get out now. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. He, he was lured in in that moment with her and began to listen to all these things. And Matthew 4, 10 through 11 says, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. Some of us need to say that today. Some of us need to say that over our children, our grandchildren, our finances, our family, our city, our state, our nation, whatever it may be. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Number three is how do we draw close to God? We have to choose purity over pleasure. We have to choose purity over pleasure. You know, when, when you go into your house or you've worked on the yard or a car, whatever it may be, and someone says dinner time, do you just go and sit down with filthy hands? No, you wash them. But if you got kids, they're going right to the table. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wash your hands. Think about this, friends. 
We have to choose to wash our hands from the filth of this world. We have to choose to purify our hearts before the Lord. We need to replace our desires to live in sin with the desire to be pure before the Lord. And finally, how do we draw closer to God? We have to humble ourselves before the Lord. We need more dependence on God than on ourselves. We're so dependent on us and what we can do instead of being dependent on God. And when we do that, watch Him lift us up. Despite our shortcomings, God in His infinite love and favor gives us worth and dignity in those moments that we humble ourselves. You know, church, I want you to understand, it's better to be lifted up by God's grace than our culture's approval. It's better to be lifted up by God's grace than our culture's approval. Because let me tell you something, the culture might like you for a moment, but they'll leave you. But God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I want you to understand, friends, make this your, mo your motto today. I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. Make that your desire. Make that, Lord, give me that tenacity to say in my spirit with the spirit of love and truth. You know, I'm not trying to be arrogant or proud or whatever. But, Lord, I want to be lifted up by your grace rather than the culture's approval. Every head is bowed and eyes are closed in this holy moment. Just have a couple of questions to ask you. And then we're going to open up these altars. Yes. We're going to open up these altars for us to respond to God's message today. And I want to ask you a couple of questions, and I'll give you instructions on what, what we'll do. Where is your heart today? Does it want more of evil desires or godly desires? Only you know the answer to that question. And that's between you and God. Are you dealing with a constant battle in that area of your life, and you need God to touch you? He can and He will. The Bible says that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And maybe today you just want to make things right with your heart. Secondly, when it comes to your prayer life, is it even existent with God? Have you given up on prayer or even asked God, is this prayer what you want me to, to experience or have? Or, or is this on your timetable? Have you involved him with your prayerful decision by asking the Lord that his will be done in your life? Maybe you haven't done that in a while. Maybe there's some decisions going on in your life and you're like, I don't know what to do. Maybe you need to involve God in the process. And just like he spoke to me in that corner and said, you're not going to fill this church. I am. Man, it gave me such a peace. <laughs> it gave me such a calm. I was like, glory to God, this is your church. We're going to do the natural. You're going to do the supernatural, God. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to worry about these things. Lord, it is your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Some of you need to listen to his voice today. Number three, is there an area of pride or envy or being discontent that's causing you to develop an appetite for greed? And today you realize, I want to humble myself before the Lord. That humility might even come by getting out of your seat and coming to this altar. Not worrying about who's looking or what's going on. It's just you and the Lord saying, Lord, I just need a touch from you. I just need you to come to my rescue. I just need you to do something supernatural. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, or you want to rededicate your life to him. Today's the day of salvation. Perhaps you want to submit more to God. You want to resist the devil in a certain area of your life that you've been given into, or you want to live a life of purity more than pleasure of this world. And you need strength from on high. You need the, the power, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to touch you. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me today. Finally, you need prayer for healing. Or you're going through a situation at home or work and you need a financial breakthrough or you're dealing with some mental issue or you need prayer for yourself or for someone else that you want to just stand the gap we want to open up these altars if you're able to would you stand with me i know some people can't stand 
but you're with us as we all stand. And if anything has touched your heart, if anything has ministered to your spirit and you realize that's me, that's where I'm at, I just want to encourage you right now before the band even begins to play, just to come to this altar right now.